Hey, good morning, church. So all of this to say, all of this planning, and I neglected to plan shade for myself. So big old fail on that one. So the message will be five minutes this week. Anticipation. I'm just kidding. No, but seriously, uh, I am grateful to uh, the staff, uh, Jared, Chancellor, Taylor, for coordinating this because on Tuesday morning I told them, hey, we're going to go outside this Sunday, uh, which means they had just a few days to do that. So, uh, yeah, poor Jared. I'm constantly giving him new tasks and challenges wherever he's at. I appreciate him because he's the one that has to do all the technical work to make this happen. So it's not just as easy as you know, me and Chancellor and a few others throwing out shades. It's all of this stuff. I don't even know what any of these wires do, but Jared does, and he makes it happen. So I hope that today, if you appreciate being outside, thank Jared afterwards. And the good news is, is that it cannot possibly be any hotter out here than it is in there. So also, we scored there. But we're going to continue in worship this morning. Uh, if you have scripture, hopefully you brought it. There is no pew Bible this week, so Pull out what you got, and we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're continuing our series called Gospel Culture. So if you're just joining us, or maybe you've missed a few weeks, just to refresh you, we're talking about and looking at Scripture, what it means for us as the church to be a different kind of culture than the culture, the main culture in which we live. What does it mean for us to be a gospel culture in the midst of being in an American culture. And there, each week we're looking at various aspects from Scripture about what it means, how we're supposed to be formed and shaped in order to represent a different culture, a heavenly culture, here and now in the midst of a culture that doesn't share many of those values too. And so this week, uh, you know, we kind of moved outside. It's a much more casual environment. I've never preached in flip-flops before, but I'm doing it today. And so we kind of casualized everything as we move outside, and yet our topic this morning, uh, it doesn't really match the ambiance of where we're at, as we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 4 and the idea of work ethic. Like, that's not like the fun topic that you put outside for everybody to come and hear what Scripture has to say about a Christian work ethic. But we're going to look at the passage this morning as we wrestle through, as God's people, how should it matter that you follow Jesus and you work? Like, how do you reconcile those two things in a biblically faithful way? Whether you consider your work to be of intense spiritual value or whether you don't see any connection whatsoever. How do you live in this world in the gospel culture with a Christian work ethic? And so as I was thinking about that, Taylor and I are trying to teach our sons Carson and Camden, who are seven and six, we're trying to teach them what it means to have a work ethic. Now, Carson, our older, he just naturally picked up on that because for him, he equates work with, uh, or chores rather, with money. And so for him, he will do anything. Like if he will scrub your boat, he will wash your car, because for him, he thinks, I'm going to earn money by my work. And that translates to, I'm going to buy Legos with my money. And so, like, he's got a very clear thought process. So anytime Taylor and I will tell the boys, hey, in addition to your chores, does anybody want to help us clean out the car? We'll give you a buck or so if you come clean out the car. Carson is, like, lined up already, ready to clean out the car. And then there's Camden. Now, Camden, 
We're working on a Christian work ethic in Camden. So Camden, when we call Carson over to work, Camden will say, you know what, Dad? You know what, Mom? I don't need money because I have, I love my family. And I'm just like, how manipulative is that? And I was laughing like, you better love me because with this work ethic, you're going to be living with me until you're 45. So we're still working on him, on what it means to have a Christian work ethic. But that's what we're thinking about this morning. So with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's look at verses 9 through 12. So follow along as I read for us. And scripture says this. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for uh, your presence with us as we read it, as we reflect on it, and most importantly, Lord, your presence with us as we seek to live it out. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified by all of our efforts here this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would shape us into the image of yourself, that we'd use your word, use your spirit, Lord, that we might be people who have Christian work ethic, that we'd be formed biblically to impact the world for your kingdom and for your gospel's sake. We love you and we praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. We're all adapting. I have never, preaching in sandals just became a whole lot easier (laughs) as half of my staff just gets up and starts to walk out there. So hopefully my background music will subdue as we continue in worship. All right, so here's what we're looking at in in Thessalonians. So there's a New Testament background, right? There is a different culture that's not the American culture that scripture was written in. So when we think about the New Testament background, we think about what they were dealing with when it came to work ethic and employment and a social structure. One big difference that we have between us is that in the first century in the Roman Empire, there was no such thing as social services. There was no such a thing as government assistance. So in the 21st century in American culture, You and I have a governmental system which, if you're struggling in pretty much any aspect or area of life, the government has resources that can connect you or that you can be connected with, and you can have those needs met. And so we live in that system, but in the first century, there was no such thing as filing for unemployment, filing for disability, filing for medical coverage. Like, that was unheard of. Now, in the first century, the system they had was just private charitable groups. And oftentimes that would be in the form of like really wealthy people who would give money to people who were impoverished. And that was pretty much it. There was no such thing as like the Roman welfare system. It just didn't exist. And so in the first century, the church played a much larger role in meeting the needs of its community members. So if you, as a follower of Jesus, if you came into the Christian community and you were struggling, if you were unable to work, then the church was there to provide for you. And so the word, and and when we look at the New Testament, you'll kind of catch glimpses for how the church met this need. Now, it wasn't really like outwardly talked about in scripture, but you kind of get glimpses from the side to see what they were, how they were operating. Now, in the church in the first century, if you were unable to work, 
the church had funds to help you. And oftentimes, if you look in the New Testament, it was specifically for groups like widows or orphaned children or people who had physical disabilities to where you literally couldn't labor physically to provide for yourself. So the church met those needs, and so the church cared for its people. And yet, we also see in the New Testament very clear structures and guidelines given by the apostles that if you were able to work, you worked. And there was no such thing as church charity for people who could work but chose not to work. And so instead, what the New Testament gives us is a Christian work ethic. And that there was the expectation, and it was kind of a high bar, to be if you were able to work, the apostles said, you have to work. But there's purpose for that. It's not just to be stingy with charity, but there was purpose too why believers had a Christian work ethic. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in the passage. There's two implications. And so you and I are going to think about those for us today because they're still the same. Whether it's 21st century or 1st century, the implications of having a good Christian work ethic are the same. And the implications are this. Scripture would say it's so that believers can be economically self-sufficient so as to be generous for those who can't work. That's a biblical mandate. If you can work, you work and you work hard. You work for the glory of God so that you can care for yourself, your family, and be generous. And then the second implication is you and I work hard to earn the respect of those outside the Christian community because you and I reflect Jesus And if I, as an able-bodied person, just decide I don't want to work, I want to depend upon the charity of others, well, the New Testament writers would tell us that's not consistent with the gospel. That's not consistent with what it means to represent Jesus. And so you can see just in those two points why this is not really a message that we talk about a whole lot. Because nobody wants to come to church and and guess what? Your application this week is you're going to work and you're going to work hard. Right? Like, that's not a very popular message. And yet, the gospel's clear. It's not just about working hard because Jesus wants you to work hard. There's reasons for it. It's to earn the respect of those outside the church and that you and I might be economically stable enough to then care for those who can't work, who can't care for themselves, that they'd be able to turn to the church and we, in our surplus, would be able to care for those people. That's the biblical model. And so, before we get to those implications, We're going to build a theological framework, right? Let's not just make stuff up. Let's look at what Scripture says, build a framework, and then live in light of it. So we're all on the same page. And so when we think about a theological framework and we look back at 1 Thessalonians. So the Thessalonian church, uh, the city of Thessalonica was a crossroads. You could go south, east, west, or north. And it was right smack dab in the middle. If you care about geography, it's north of Greece and Macedonia. If you don't care about geography, forget it. Nobody cares. But the point is this. It was a trade center. And so there was opportunity to make money. And yet the Thessalonian church, majority speaking, they weren't wealthy. Most of the Christians that Paul's writing to in the very early days of the church are poor Christians. They're not Christians who have a lot of surplus. And so Paul's writing to them and he's giving them this theological framework And he contrasts two things. He says, hey, church, the gospel's calling you to work hard. As opposed to the language he uses is, don't be a busybody or a meddler. 
And what he's talking about is this. Because the Thessalonian Christians were primarily impoverished, they were mostly, they worked physical labor. And oftentimes, if if they couldn't work physical labor, they were the people who needed charity. That's going on in the church. And so some Christians at that time had said, hey, you know what? It's really hard to make barely enough to live, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to depend on people's charity. I'm going to let the church take care of me. And then Paul sees this and he says, no, 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 no. The biblical, the Christian work ethic is this. You need to work. Even if it's work that you don't take pride in, even if it's work that is not the thing you want at the top of your resume, you need to have the character that says, I'm going to work to be self-sufficient and then be able to bless others who are even worse off than me. And so that's the framework that he's writing in. And honestly, when you look at verse 11, look back at the text. Listen to the call that Paul is giving for how you and I ought to live and work. And then just be thinking, 21st century American culture, as you hear these virtues. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Not a very popular message in the American culture. And look at the first word he says, make it your ambition. Now the word he's using there, they know in their culture, it's the same word that's used to describe rich Romans because they had ambitions, but the ambitions weren't for people below them. The ambition was for their own glory and their own name. And so they would lavishly give out money. The wealthy Romans loved to give out money, not because they actually cared about people, but because every time they gave out money, it came with their name. And so their ambition was to get their name raised up higher. So I'm going to try and outgive the other people in my class so that people will know that Ryan is a generous donor. I care for those below me, but not that I actually care for them. I just want people to think I'm charitable. That was their ambition. Their ambition was to live a lavish lifestyle that drew attention to who they were. And then Paul uses that word for the church and he says, hey, you too ought to have ambition. But your ambition ought to be this. Live a quiet life, mind your own business, and work hard with your hands. Now we do have to think about that to kind of cut out bad theology because bad theology, when you read that, you can, you can draw that out pretty easily. So when Paul's saying a quiet life, he's not saying don't be involved in important things. He's not saying never speak up. But he's talking about a quiet humility in how you work. And if you work with people in any way, shape, or form, you know the difference between somebody who's trying to draw attention to themselves and a quiet worker, do you not? People who are trying to draw attention to what they do and then those who just quietly, diligently just show up and get it done. And Paul's saying, church, that's who you need to be. Be the quiet one who just diligently comes in and does the work. Doesn't draw attention to themselves. Isn't trying to showboat or applaud themselves with how well they're doing their job. They quietly and diligently show up day in and day out and they work. Right? You can see why this is a really popular message right now. And the second one he says is mind your business. Right? Mind your own business. Now that is not saying don't care for each other. Bad theology. He's not saying don't care for the needs of other people. Because Philippians 2.4 says what? Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
So he's not saying stay in your lane and let everybody else care for themselves. What he means by mind your own business is not to be gossipers, not to be busybodies, and maybe you work with people like this. Maybe you're feeling the tug of the spirit that you are this person. But the person who spends more time at the job talking than actually working. And they're just talking to be a busybody, talking to be a gossiper. And so Paul is saying, church, that's not the reputation that you're, that you're trying to earn. You're trying to earn as a reputation, as a representative of Jesus, somebody who works hard, works humbly, works quietly, and people will take notice of that and see that your ambition is different than other people. And then the last one, be willing to work with your hands. Now, Paul is not saying everybody that's white collar, quit your job and let's all go physically work with our hands. That's bad theology. But he is talking to people in this time The church is mostly blue-collar, low-income workers, people who are on the poverty, what we would call today the poverty line. And so for them, sometimes there would be the tendency or the temptation to say, I don't want to do this work. Instead, I want to rely on charity because that work, it's the only work that I can get right now, but I'm above that work. And Paul is saying, as a follower of Jesus, you work humbly. There's no job beneath you and I. There's no job beneath you and I. Again, maybe you're working a job and it is not what you want your final destination to be. It's not where you want to see yourself in 10 years or in 10 days, but it's what you have. Christ calls us to work at that diligently, humbly, and with a solid Christian work ethic. And I was thinking about that because for myself, I graduated college in 2009 which if you remember that time, if you could pick the worst year in the last two decades to enter the workforce, it was 2009. Like 2008, the bubble broke. 2009, everybody was scrambling. And then in 2009, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed college graduate Ryan entered the pastoral workforce and is like, here I am. I have zero experience. I have a degree that cost me a lot of money and I would love to pastor your church. And I sent out resume after resume after resume, and I didn't get a single phone call back. 2009 was a terrible year. And I struggled because Taylor and I were about to get married that next year, and I'm sure her father was very excited at the prospect of his future son-in-law. And I was entering the workforce, and I couldn't find a job, and we were going to get married shortly after. And I was like, okay, I got to do something. And a guy connected me with my dream job of serving waffles at Mimi's Cafe. Muffins too. I could microwave muffins. And I took that job. And I remember working that job thinking, okay, it's going to be a little bit, a couple weeks, right? And then I'm going to get the call. Like, don't worry. Every mega church is going to call me and they're going to want me with now my muffin experience and my degree. And it just didn't happen. And then it got even worse. I had to get another serving job. So I served mornings at Mimi's Cafe and then nights at the Anaheim White House. And I was working two serving jobs. And I worked that for longer than I wanted. And I remember what God was teaching me in that time. I entered into that. I kind of had this, sad to say, this attitude when I walked into Mimi's Cafe that first day of like, I am too good for this. I shouldn't be here. I I have a college degree. Right, I was young, forgive me. I have a college degree. Like, I shouldn't be here. And I remember what God was teaching me through that season of working two serving jobs. That I'm not above anything. 
You're not above anything. But I'm called, wherever he calls me, to do my best. And then the mega church called. And I answered. And you're it. All right? But compared to serving muffins, I'm just kidding, I love you. But in that season, God was teaching me something. It was humility. Of man, I, it doesn't matter how good I am, doesn't matter how, how hot I think I am in the workforce. I can serve muffins. And I need to have humble character that says, not only am I going to serve muffins, but I'm going to serve muffins to the best of my ability. And so some of you I know are in that spot right now. You're serving the equivalent of muffins right now. And you're like, this is not, I don't even want to put this on my resume when I get a resume. I don't even want to put that on there. But you're there. And my prayer is that you and I would be people who follow Jesus, who say, Lord, if this is what you've provided for me, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Simply because, if for no other reason, I want to be self-sustaining so that I can actually be charitable to those in need, and I want to earn you a good reputation, Jesus, for everybody that I work with. So wherever you are, how can you serve there to the best of your abilities with all that you have, even if you don't find meaning in your work? So that's what Paul says, hey, Christian work ethic, that's the kind of worker you and I need to be. That's who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. And then we get to the purpose. Verse 12, he gives us those two purposes, which I read. He says, so that, like do those things, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. There it is. So that you earn the respect of those who don't know Jesus, that even if they don't agree with what you believe about him, they can't argue with the fact that you're a hard worker. And at the very least, they see something in your character and in your work ethic that is a testament to who Jesus is. Even if they don't believe in who he is or what he's done. So now let's go to 2 Thessalonians. Like literally flip, flip a couple pages. 2 Thessalonians 3. So Paul writes this letter, we don't know exactly how long, but probably like a year or two after his first one. So in the first one he says, hey, work hard. Don't look down at any job. But do it to the best of your ability for these reasons. And then... We come to find out a year later that uh, some people didn't get the message and they've chosen to remain idle. And so Paul writes again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting off in verse 6. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. Right? He's getting a little more firm here. Right? In the name of Jesus, I command you. Brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who's idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Here's the one that you put on the church marquee. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We're going to put that on the marquee this week. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are busy, or they are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So Paul writes to them. They're not getting the message. And then in verses 7 through 9, he uses himself as an example he says, hey, I wrote to you to be this kind of person. And look, when I was with you, I lived out what I taught you. 
Paul says as an apostle, he had the right to come in and as a leader of the church, they were, t- they were called by scriptures to provide for the apostles. And yet Paul said, no, I'm going to still work. I'm going to go above and beyond. And he says, not because I had to, but why did he do it? To be an example for the church to imitate. So Paul says, I didn't have to work, but I chose to work so that you would see that lifestyle. He uses himself as an example. And so when we think about what it means to earn respect of people, sometimes that means that you have to lay down your rights and privileges. Maybe that means for you at your work, maybe it means going above and beyond. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe in your job, maybe you're that worker. You've got a job description and you don't step out of that. But what would it look like for you to say, you know what, if it's going to earn Jesus a better reputation through my work ethic, I'll go above and beyond. I'll do more than is required of me. Not because I have to, but because I want people to see something different in me. And scripture says that we might earn the respect. And then for others of us, like scripture's clear on this. And, and so I'm going to read it and say it. And if you disagree with me on it, don't write me on Monday morning. Read your Bible. If you are able to work, you work. If you are able to work, you work. Not a popular message. If able, then work for these reasons. And I remember the first time when I was doing college ministry as an intern, there was a guy in our college group, and I was in college doing college ministry, and there was a guy, and he he was working a steady job, going well for about a year or so, and then he got laid off from the job. And it, uh, I think he was like 20 or 21 at the time, but he discovered uh, the unemployment system. And so he was perfectly healthy, perfectly able-bodied, 21 years old, got laid off, went on unemployment, and then had job opportunities. And I remember talking with him, and he said, yeah, you know what, I have these opportunities, but did, I can literally get paid not to work and play at the time, it was Xbox 360. It's old now. But I can literally play Xbox, and I get paid. So I can couch surf, I can play video games, and I don't have to work. And I remember as a pastoral intern with absolutely no experience, like, I didn't know how to counsel him. I was like, oh. But you should. <laughs> I was like, I just didn't even think. I was like, but you should. I don't know, I don't know how to convince you. And then when we think about it as God's people, the fact remains, we're called to work. You're called to provide. Now, here's the thing. Some of us are unable to work. And the gospel is not about shaming those who can't work. That's why, praise God, we have disability. That's why in those seasons when you can't find work, like so many people right now, we have unemployment. And we've seen in our own church how those systems have helped people. And so we thank God that we have those. So if you find yourself right now in a season where you're just unable to work, the gospel's not trying to shame you. That's not what this is. There's a reason that the early church had systems for people who weren't able to work. Because God knows what you're going through. And he wants to care for you in that season. So that's some of us. Honestly, in our congregation, that's some of us. And then there are others of us who need to be reminded. You need to work. 
Like there's nothing super spiritual about this. It's you need to work to earn a good reputation and to be able to give back to those in need. So the challenge to us, church, is how, is how is Christ calling you to model a Christian work ethic where you're at? Maybe you need to model a work ethic by actually working. Maybe at your job, it's not the one you want, but you need to learn in humility how to give it your all. And maybe you're that worker who just needs to go above and beyond. And we look at Colossians 3, verse 23. Here's a good passage for us to kind of, if you struggle at your job, print this one out and put it somewhere where you can see it. Colossians 3.23. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, whether you answer phones, whether you clean classrooms, whether you serve food, or whether you manage a company, whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God so that he might be glorified. Because, I mean, just practically speaking, if you work with people who are not living out, if they don't know Jesus and they're, they're lazy workers and they do the bare minimum, do you actually, res- I mean, do you respect those people? Do you ever look at them and be like, man, I want to be like that person. I want to, and then I want to worship the same God as that person. I would love to hear about Jesus from this person whom I don't respect. That's why it's so important for you and I to be the best workers wherever we're at, to give it our all, as if working for the Lord. I don't care and, I don't care if you don't like your boss. I am a boss, so I hope my employees like me. But the fact remains, we serve as employees. Lower your hands. Thank you. The fact remains is that we do that for the glory of God. And then finally, let's close with Ephesians chapter 4. This is when we talk about why it's important. Let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room. Hi, friends. Hi, Hi, friends. Have fun on the playground. Everybody is jealous. All right, so we close with Ephesians 4. Look at verse 28. Now, maybe this passage applies really specifically to you, but it says this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, right? That's biblical. There you go. But they must work, doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. So that's the other consideration, church, as we close. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. How do you need to adopt a Christian work ethic? Maybe you need to work harder at your job. You need to give it your all. You need to humble yourself so that Jesus can be glorified through your ethic. And for others, maybe it's, man, you need to work hard, not just to provide for yourself, but that you can then be able to be generous, that you can look to those in the congregation who are struggling, who are unable to work, and you can help meet those needs. What does it look look like, church, for us to be that gospel culture? That gospel culture that works hard as in all things, as if for the Lord himself. Would you pray with me?